Hi, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer living in New York City. Hey, I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actress and producer also living in New York City. And, and we, we are Positive, Positive Creativity, Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with writers, directors, and other artists about what they're working on, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in this industry. We are looking to shed light on all of the wonderful projects happening in New York and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to talk about their work and to give theater and film lovers the opportunity to learn about more creatives and projects. Thanks for listening. Aaron Daly is the Associate Artistic Director of Primary Stages, producing the main stage season as well as heading up their artistic development events. She has produced the Eugene O'Neill Festival at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., and cut her teeth in film and commercial production in Los Angeles. She is a proud graduate of Skidmore College. Sarah Matucci is a producer, vocalist, actor, and educator. She's director of education and strategic planning at Primary Stages and runs ESPA, the Einhorn School of the Performing Arts. She's also managing director of Clutch Productions, providing opportunities to female artists and co-founder of Red Caravan, which combines theater and community-based advocacy. Welcome, Erin and Sarah. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to speak with you both today. No, I think it's a great way to start my weekend off. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Cool. Well, we always start with this bigger question on our podcast. What is currently inspiring you? And it can be anything and everything. That is a big question. Um, you know, I think what's been inspiring me over the past week or so, and I'll, I, I guess always as well, is kind of really the artists I'm talking to and how they're persevering and how they're, they continue to tackle the work. Um, we are starting a new writers group called the Echoes Writers Group, which is for, you know, really artists who have a unique voice or a creative spark, but haven't had the chance to pursue playwriting professionally or in an academic setting. Um, And I've been, you know, interviewing these people and reading their applications. And it's been really incredible to see all these, you know, new artists, artists who have something to say and how they've still made a way for themselves, despite the pandemic, despite not having maybe the financial support to be able to pursue a career in the arts, despite, you know, being from a historically underrepresented or like shut out community that hasn't had the access to theater that, you know, other people have had. And the like creative spark and the desire to keep, keep working and keep putting work out there has been really, really inspiring to me. And, you know, when I said that this way, this is a great way to start my weekend, um, I have found that, you know, when I have these interviews or conversations with artists in the morning, like the rest of my day is better. You know, I think it's hard, we you know, working remotely and, you know, while theater is still just starting to come back to be reminded of like why we're doing this. Um, and so having that space to focus on art in the morning has been really, really um, inspiring for me. That's beautiful. 
Yeah. Ooh, I love that so much to touch on. Um, but first, uh, Sarah, what is currently inspiring you? Well, I'm going to sound like I'm copying Aaron. I'm not going to lie, but it's a very similar sort of set of circumstances for me. Um, because I, um, I run the Einhorn School of Performing Arts at primary stages, and um, it's a school for uh, emerging and established professional actors, directors, and writers. And over the last 18 months, I, I really think that my, um, my relationships and interactions with our students and our faculty have honestly kept me going. Um, they are, uh, they are strong. They come from a variety of different backgrounds and careers and life experiences. And to see, to kind of come together as a community and have us all navigate this as a unit, knowing that regardless of what's happening in our lives, everyone can always come back to this this one place, this room where you get to forget what's happening in the outside world and just focus on your classmates and your instructor and explore something that is completely outside of um, the, for lack of a better word, the, you know, sort of like the, the horror or the, um, uh, the fear or the anxiety that is created in in the world in general and come into a space where you get to just be free and just explore and be a mess if you need to be a mess and be joyful if you are able to be joyful and then infect others with that joy um, so that they can take it into their further lives. Um, there have been a lot of different ways over the course of these this last year and a half that um, that I've seen these artists and these teachers um, create together. And no one, I, I think one of the most beautiful things is that there is never an expectation. There's never an expectation that you have to be okay. There's never an expectation that you have to be ready to write. You can just listen and, and give feedback and participate. And and know that everyone in the space has made a commitment to having your back. They've made a commitment to supporting you and allowing you to come to the table wherever you are, because wherever you are in this moment is right. Um, and being able to sort of facilitate those sorts of relationships and communities, being able to interact with these artists and be inspired by their resilience um, and their generosity and their kindness of spirit has really, um, it has gotten me through and it continues to get me through. So beautiful. Oh my goodness. So we're going to have a lot to talk about over this next hour, hour and a half. Um, but I actually, one of the reasons why I wanted, why I had reached out to Erin initially is because I've been so impressed with everything that you have all done during the pandemic. And like, honestly, those lunch and learns that you did, are you still doing the lunch and learns? Uh, we now do them in a much more sporadic way. We were doing okay. them weekly um, starting yeah. in March, 2020, but now they're more like every couple of months, just as people's schedules start to fill up again. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. So like at the beginning of the pandemic, that 
was my lifeline. It was so unbelievable that you had that space for people to just get together and have a prompt by one of your very impressive instructors. And they were completely free at one o'clock in the middle of the week or something. And everything that you have done to just bring artists together during this time and allow them to create is so beautiful and so inspiring. And it's not surprising to me at all that the way that you are watching artists interact and react to our current circumstances is what is currently inspiring both of you. I am beyond, if you could see my face right now, I am about to burst into tears. That is the most wonderful thing that you could have ever said. (laughs) Um, I just am so thank you for saying all of that because I know for, for me, for us um, at primary, I, when, when all of this happened, when the shutdown happened, um, my focus changed um, and it really became so, and it still continues on to this day. It, the need to allow people to connect and create together, regardless of the circumstances, um, how can we create connection despite social distance? And it became the top priority for us. We recognized that there are so many people who lost their jobs. There are so many people who are isolated by themselves in their home or isolated with young children in their home, and they are the sole caregivers. There, are, there were so many circumstances where we knew people needed an escape, but they needed to not be burdened by getting that escape for themselves. So our goal right from the start was how can we give to people something that will alleviate their burden, even if just for an hour and, um, and allow them a place to process and be solely there for, for their own healing. Um, that, and it, and it really, it really has changed my ultimate view of what art is and why art exists, why creativity exists, and why everyone in this world is an artist, regardless of how they um, put forth um, their their skill or their or their artistry or their desire or their longing. And, um, and we can all just help each other. So why don't we just always help each other, you know? Yeah, I think similar to Sarah, Um, you know, once you remove the, because we couldn't produce, we couldn't produce our shows, we couldn't produce readings, we couldn't do that part of theater making that we usually do. Um, and I think, you know, the priority went to, well, we're still in a position where we can help people, where we can serve. How do we take care of our artists? How do we take care of our audiences? How do we take care of our students? You know, I think primary stages, you know, it's like an unofficial motto, a second motto, a second slogan um, is uh, you're off Broadway home. Hmm. I think that was a really important thing for us, both through like, you know, the ESPA programs and Primary Plus and our virtual productions and like how we just re-envisioned ourselves as a company. We're like, okay, we can't produce, but what can we do? How do we keep theater alive in the middle of this? How do we keep making sure that artists are able to create, artists are able to be paid, um, artists are able to continue working through this truly unprecedented year? Um, 
and that has been really, I think that's, that's something that I do think we're going to carry on um, as we go forward as well as more than just a philosophy. We've been able to develop a lot of new programs that are more um, directly serving artists without having to be like a physical production. Yeah, I think that's really cool. This past year, I agree, it's really changed the way that we we think about making art. And in so many ways, it's it's making art more accessible to all, like all these virtual programs and virtual productions that you're offering. I'm sure that allowed so many people who weren't allowed, or not allowed, but who weren't able to be maybe um, involved with primary stages to, to join and seek out these new opportunities. I love the idea of those lunch and learns. I had no idea about that. That is amazing. Um, and yeah, just even more accessible to even reaching broader audiences, I'm sure, with the new virtual world. I think that's that's so cool. I hope I hope that like there is a little bit that we can take from this kind of difficult year. Um, and I guess I'm just thinking with the world starting to feel a little bit more like it's going back to normal and Broadway shows reopening, off-Broadway shows reopening. It's like, how can we how can we also carry forward this idea of making art more accessible at the same time to those who weren't able to maybe join join the party earlier? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think there's it's um it's interesting because when you talk about accessibility, you're talking about accessibility from both the artist standpoint and the audience standpoint, right? It's like how can we make theater, capital T theater, more accessible to artists who want to break in, artists who have a story to tell, um, you know, creating more opportunities for artists, but then also creating more opportunities for audience to interact with that art, to see that art. You have to kind of open both ends of the pipeline at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of had a fear when I was starting to look. I was like, oh, Broadway's opening again. Like, I'm going to go get tickets. And I was like, holy moly, some of these tickets are more expensive than they were before the pandemic. Like, what is happening? So from an audience like point of view, oh, my goodness, that accessibility for sure. But then also, as you're saying, for artists um, to have the opportunity to present work and be involved in productions, too, I hope that. Yeah, all the, all the kind of the virtual world has kind of cracked that open to um, more and more people can can make art in, an, in a new way, um, maybe without kind of jumping through hoops and circles to, to do it. Yeah, I think that our for an example is kind of some of our new artistic development programs we have coming up. You know, as for the fall, as we still figure out what's going on with the Delta variant and how things right. pan out, everything will be virtual. But, you know, we're planning to always have a virtual option, even if some people are meeting in person, you know, Um, which is good for, you know, artists who I love who live in California, you know, Um, we're doing a virtual production right now where everyone's living in California. So (laughs) just remembering to write EST and PST is a big thing for me, but, um, (laughs) uh, you know, being able to work with artists from around the country and, um, I think also it's really good and it's something that in theater, especially in New York theater, that tends to be an afterthought is like accessibility for um, like disabled people, people who have maybe use a wheelchair or have issues actually getting to the theater. 
And, you know, if you build a new theater elsewhere in the country, it has to be ADA compliant. But there's so many buildings in New York that were, you know, built in, you know, previous centuries that can't be kind of ADA compliant. So they get a, they, I don't want to say they get a pass, but um, they don't, they aren't able to be updated. So they really aren't accessible. And by doing more virtual content, creating more virtual access points for people who maybe actually can't get to the theater, um, like that's another kind of level of accessibility as well. Oh, yes. 100 percent. Yeah. This this kind of a tangent, but you just the um, physical accessibility you're talking about yeah, reminds yeah. me so much. So so my other life away from podcasting and acting, I work at the Tenement Museum on the Lower East Side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love nice. that museum. Yes. Me, too. It's still going. It's still going. So anytime you want to come by, let me know. Um but yeah, thinking about buildings that are not accessible, that whew, that building is very difficult for people who have mobility issues. People live there when it was a tenement, you know, like right. it's right. to live there no matter right. what. Exactly right. Like fifth floor walk up, you know, back in the day was like the norm. Um, but yeah, the past year was really cool when a lot of the programs moved to the virtual space. Um, because so many people who'd never been able to visit were able to come and from all over the world. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of good to be done. I, think I mean, I'm going to take an even further tangent, but like, you know, I'm thinking about it a lot in access to like nature and national parks. Right. Mm. Um, and I think as able-bodied people, we can take for granted, how like how easy it is for us to go on a hike and the access to nature and mountains and waterfalls that we have. Um, but, you know, there is a park, um, a, a state park um, in Massachusetts near uh, someplace I was staying over the summer and they, it's Halibut Point State Park in Rockport. And it's like this beautiful, beautiful kind of promontory going out to the ocean and, um, you know, there's a beautiful, like, old quarry. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous um, setting. And over the pandemic, they took the time to kind of to, um, pave the parking lot and put in accessible bathrooms and create a broader, um, like, access path that can be, that wheelchair users can use. So, um, like, that's really incredible, too. Like, that's a, you know, we're all talking about how, we're taking this pause to reprioritize to do maybe the projects we always wanted to do, but we're too complicated because we have to shut things down or close things to move forward. And like, that's the breathing room that the pandemic gave us, you know, Halibut Point was able to create a better, more accessible, more fulfilling park because they couldn't operate for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And those are some of these, like, I guess, kind of silver linings of this time, if you want to take that from this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm curious about what reopening looks like for you. But I guess before we really get into it, could you both just share, maybe starting with Erin, um, how you got involved with Primary Stages and your story? Sure. Um uh, I'll start a little further back. So I, you know, did theater all through school and in college. And, you know, I was in my, 
I went to Skidmore in Saratoga Springs. And in my senior year, I was you know, planning to move to New York, be a director, do all that. And there was something like stopping me. Um, and I was part of that was if I moved to New York now, I know exactly what the rest of my life is going to be like. Of course I didn't, but I thought I did, you know? Um, and we also had this, the story I was like, we had this, um, director, Phil Sultanoff come and talk to our graduating class and all our professors were like, Oh, he is brilliant. He is amazing. He worked with us years ago. He is the most incredible downtown director New York has ever seen. You're so lucky to get to talk to him. I mean, he, he came and he talked and he was wonderful. He was brilliant. And then he's like, yeah. And you know, the great thing is I just got into the affordable housing lottery in New York. And I was like, wait a second, you are the most brilliant person. You're like lauded by all this, all the faculty. And even you as a theater artist need or have applied for affordable housing. And I was like, screw this. I'm moving to LA. So <laughs> I moved to LA for three years. Um, and I worked at a company called Labanda Films, which made um, commercials and film for the Spanish speaking market in both um, the U S and Mexico. Um, and that's really where I got into producing um, and producing for commercials is really interesting because you're on a super tight deadline. There's a lot more people to deal with. You have um, a very demanding client. Um, so there was, it was a really, really a baptism of fire and getting my uh, sea legs and producing, but I still really wanted to do theater. So I was able to um, get a fellowship at arena stage as a um, Eugene O'Neill festival producer, um, which is, they did a festival um, of Eugene O'Neill plays and um, kind of ancillary work. We had a sing along of sea shanties. We did uh, readings. We commissioned some work. We did a podcast. We, um, we got the Al Hirschfeld, uh, archives to bring down artwork of O'Neill shows and display them in the lobby. So kind of, again, more like really, really kind of expansive creative producing. Um, and then from there, I went to New York and worked at the flea in Tribeca for a couple of years um, as company manager and artistic associate. And then when it was time to move on from there, I saw a position for artistic associate at primary and um, I had seen their work before and I liked them. And then I met with Andrew Lindsay, um, our artistic director and really dug his vibe. And I think what was exciting for me was that even though it was a really established company, there was felt like there was a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of possibility there. Um, so yeah, I was hired as artistic associate. And then I think two years later, I, um, became the associate artistic director and been there ever since. Wow. Awesome. That's quite a journey. There's so like so much to comment there as well. <laughs> New York. Um, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, I want to hold for a moment and, and turn to Sarah um, what is your story of coming to primary stages? 
Absolutely. Um, I like Aaron, I'll take it back just a touch from, um, so I, um, in my, in my life, um, I have been a, uh, I've, I had a large focus on becoming a trained classical singer. It's something I started when I was very, very young. Um, and, uh, you know, throughout sort of like middle school and high school, I studied at New England Conservatory. Then I came to um, New York and went to Barnard, which is part of uh, Columbia University and continued yes, um, vocal studies there. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Go Barnard, go Columbia. Uh, we're more. Um, <laughs> um, and I found, so I, I had all of this extensive um, classical vocal training and I loved it. Um, and I realized that there was a little something missing. And um, I, after I, after I graduated, I, I did a couple of shows. I was um, performing in, um, in the city and I started studying with um, this incredible voice teacher. His name was Mark Planner. His name is Mark Planner. You should study with him. If anyone needs a voice teacher, look him up. He's exceptional. Um, and he completely changed the way that I looked at and approached music um, this realization for me, because in the classical tradition, it's very much about um, the integrity and the beauty of the sound. And I realized um, through studying with Mark that the storytelling component was so much more exciting to me, so much more necessary um, to communicate. And um, and what does that mean? Sometimes, sometimes that means sacrificing sound for story, and that's okay. And so it was a this sort of beautiful um, artistic transition for me. Um, and I realized that what really drove me was the communication between artists, the communication between art and audience, and what is the actual story that you're telling and how can you utilize skills and talents to tell that story? Um, while all this was happening, I sort of accidentally had an entire side career as um, a, an event and production manager. Um, and so was, um, you know, traveling across the country, uh, creating events and product launches for um, larger companies and getting this um, sort of crazy experience in like large scale management and also um, sort of corporate organization. Um, you know, what does it mean to try to fulfill a different type of audience that is, you know, not artistically based, but going after something completely different? And how how can you organize such a thing? Um, so that was a it, it was a, an interesting sort of parallel track of exploration that I had that led me to primary um, when the Einhorn School of Performing Arts ESPA, uh started. I um, took a couple of classes. Um, my first acting class at primary was with Casey Childs, who is the founder um, and executive producer at the time. And he um, is exceptional. He's a genius. If you ever have the opportunity to just listen to him talk about theater, or if you ever have the opportunity to take a class with him, um, he's, he's a wonderful resource and a wonderful, um, wonderful director and a, just a wonderful uh, educator. Um, and so I took a couple of classes with him and found the school to be really quite inspiring. Um, and it was very, uh, it was a young program at the time. And um, I 
was really invested in helping it grow. And so a job became available um, as an associate for the school. Um, and I applied and I took it. And over these last number of years, um, I have sort of helped bring the school from sort of a grassroots initiative to um, a much larger, more robust a grounded program, um, and am now the you know director of education, and am so grateful to have had that experience and to have been able to take two parallel tracks, two parallel passions that my life was on, and combine them into one thing. Um, because through my time at primary, um, my love for education has grown. Um, my love for creating community has grown. Um, but also I found uh, my spark for producing. And over the course of my time at primary, I've done a lot of indie theater producing as well um, and have you know either founded or associate produced or produced or general managed for a number of indie theater companies in the city and realized that you can, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work with Clutch Productions and, you know, we focus on female forward stories. And I've, um, I was a founder and uh, producer uh, for Red Caravan. And our focus was on, um, you know, creating, um, creating community focused, socially focused connection in association with the work to, um, to amplify the voices of smaller or smaller community-based organizations that need the attention and need the funds. Um, so it, it was just really exciting to me to realize that um, there are multiple outlets to achieve all of the things that you, um, you feel passionately about. It doesn't have to be so singular. It's a very roundabout story, but that's, that's how I got to where I am today. <laughs> Ooh, no, I love that. That's amazing. I love what you said, that there are many ways to go about achieving the thing that you want to achieve. The way you said it was way more beautiful and articulate, but you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, what I love about what both of you said is you both sort of, to my understanding, grew with primary stages. Like you joined early in your career or early-ish in your career and then grew into these larger leadership positions from your initial associate roles, which mm -hmm. I think is so cool uh, because you really get to grow and learn so much about yourself individually as artists, but also like you were saying, Sarah, like actually grow an organization and see it as a living, breathing thing. That's just, that's just so amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> you know, it's also nice to get the chance and look back like, oh, I did do something, you know. <laughs> so how many years have you both been with the with primary stages? I just I think I just did. I just hit five years, just past five years. Yeah. And I just hit 10. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I know. This is milestone year. It's a very big number. Yeah. But it happened in quarantine. So does it really count? I don't know. No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> I'm not counting the last two years in my age. <laughs> yes. Same, same. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. E echoing Alyssa, this is my favorite part of this podcast is hearing people's stories. And I do think it's 
it is really amazing to see um, just kind of the, the, the winding paths of like ending up where, where people are. I loved hearing just kind of all the different avenues that um, both of you talked about exploring um, from like initially wanting to direct Aaron to becoming a producer. And for you, Sarah, um, starting off as a classically trained singer. Uh, I think a lot of times as artists, we, especially younger artists, we do often get in a mindset, like we have to only do one thing, right? Like we have to only be actors or we have to be singers or we have to be, a, I don't know, a writer. So it is really, I think shedding this light on how those journeys evolve is is just really amazing. And it's it's great for our listeners to hear that you can still hold on to all those parts of your story and your journey, um, but also find uh, other other skills and other creative outlets at the same time. Yeah, you know, it's something that when I talk with younger people, because I remember just being out of college and be like, oh my God, what do I do? How do I choose what to do? I have to give myself 110% to this or else I'm not going to make it, you know? And so when I was in LA working in commercials, like I read the trades every morning and I like went to events and I tried to like make my own, like do my own short film and enter into festivals and stuff. Because I like, you know, um, and it was like, I did it, but it felt like something I like I was supposed to do in order to get ahead, you know? But I, when I talk with people who are just getting out of school, I always want to be like, don't stress. You have so much time. Do whatever you want. And then in three or four years, five years, you can change it entirely. Like you're like, you'll still be young in five years. I promise. Um, <laughs> But it's really hard when you're that age and you think you're like, oh my God, this is the rest of my life. I have to decide now. Yeah, totally. Totally. And there's the whole like external thing of like family expectations or comparing yourself to your colleagues and your friends who are like, oh yeah, I'm like 30 and I'm now a lawyer or a doctor or like a, I don't know, 30 under 30 listed person. And you're like bonkers. Wow. And And the hard thing about like, theater or working in the arts, even from, you know, the producer side or even from working at an institution where, you know, I have, I'm not a freelancer. I have a, I have a, you know, stable job is that, you know, like you said, if you're a lawyer or a doctor, you pass the bar, you get into a firm. Great. You're done. Right. You're a doctor. Great. You pass your um, med, med exam, you get a residency. Great. You're done. But with theater, you're only, it's like all you have is your last production, you know, and you have to constantly reinvent yourself, Um, which is like really exciting and probably part of why I'm drawn to it. But um, it's exhausting. It's really, really exhausting. Um, I was talking to a playwright once and he was saying that, you know, when he was younger, uh, this Adriano Chaplin and he is out of um, Philadelphia and he's, he's like, when I was younger, I was entirely berated by the critics. People were like, this, this boy has to stop writing right now. Like, who does he think he is? Like, blah, 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 blah. And then he had a hit show and was, you know, lauded by the press. The show moved on and went on tour, you know, and then everyone, he was the darling. Um, and he's like, you know, it's tempting. They like, oh, great. I made it. It's like, but you have it. You just have to still make another show. Yeah. And make another show and make another show. So it's a it's 
you know, it's, it's, I, I know this is supposed to be a good, joyous, inspirational podcast, but you know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Yes. No, thank you for saying that. Yeah. We believe me, we are positive creativity, but we are not <laughs> about like toxic positivity. We're like, everything is right, right. rainbows. No, like it's so important to acknowledge that, that this is, who it's it's a roller coaster ride being an artist and exactly that I think that's that's a feeling that's a re, it's a reality of our business you are kind of only like what's the word I'm looking for morning brain you are only seen as good as the last thing that you yeah. that you've done um, and that's that's a lot of pressure as as an artist I think there's something in there too about allowing allowing you to redefine what success means and allowing success to be a little bit more internal. Um, because I, I mean, I can speak for myself that, and say that the experiences that I've had, the, the, um, the things that I do, the way that I've, um, the way that I have experienced other things, the, the producing that I've done, the dramaturgy that I have ended up doing, um, in, you know, in the last 10 years, they make me a better artist. They make me a much better actor. Um, and they allow, you know, by letting yourself be a multi-hyphenate and by never stopping learning, um, you are constantly going to make your art better. So releasing yourself of the idea that there is one singular path and one singular marker of success is so liberating. And it just makes you so much better at what you do because you actually can see what it is that you want to do and achieve it. Yeah. yeah. I also think the driving thing beyond, behind all of that is, you know, whether it's pursuing many different angles or, you know, to keep doing show and show and show and is that the kind of passion to choose this life, the passion to choose this, to be an artist, to choose this as a career. Like we all could have had, we all could have had easier lives if we had chosen another career, you know, but there's something, there's some passion that's, that's drawing us to this. And I think that is like, that's really exciting and inspiring, you know, that we all think that theater or art or acting is important enough for us to kind of make, make, uh, make that kind of life choice. Absolutely. Yeah. And it feels even harder now. And Something that's been really amazing for us, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation where you both said that you were inspired by artists, is that we have spoken on this podcast to so many different types of artists who have managed to stay passionate about the work and find fulfillment in it and who still want to do this after everything was taken away from us. You know, it's back, but it's not the same and it won't be for a long time. And it's just been really incredible to see all of the things that people were able to make in a time when they weren't on contract and weren't working on anything specifically. It's been really inspiring and very, very impressive. Right. I think one of the really interesting things um, that you're saying is this difference between sort of external and internal creating and validation and I think one of the exciting things that has happened, you know, if we're going to talk about silver linings, right? One of the exciting things that's happened in these last 18 months is that we've had no choice but to focus our, um, 
focus our creativity on non-public facing things. So how can we keep ourselves creative and not have to get validation from the outside world, but more just keep our own selves and our own communities inspired? And the, the use of technology and like the way that that has innovated in the last 18 months and the way that artists have innovated with each other um, and created there are there are no more boundaries between geographic locations right so um being able to say i don't need people to see the work that i'm doing necessarily as long as i'm keeping myself creatively engaged and and connecting with the people that matter to me you know if it's just saying that you want to get your group of artist friends together on a zoom and read a draft of a new play like by all means do it and do it often so that you're reminded about um, what, it's, what it's like to create, what it's like to create with your family in the room, your family of artists um, and not have to look to the outside to validate what you're doing on the inside. Yes, I love that so much. Um, there was actually, there was a New York Times article towards the beginning of everything shutting down that basically said just that. It was like, what can artists do during this time? Do readings from your living room. I don't know if you guys saw that article. Yeah. Um, and it was so inspiring. A friend of mine from the Barrow Group Theater Company and School passed it around to our to our group. Um, and we, we did just that. Um, it was every Sunday night for the bulk of this past year. Somebody would choose a play, cast it. We'd all sit around and read it and like, People went all out where they were like, I'm going to like bring my laptop into the kitchen if, you know, it's a scene that's like somebody's cooking dinner. Um, people like put on costumes and makeup. And it was it was like, I mean, by the by the end of the year, we had like maybe three audience members, like my parents were two of them. And, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it was like, it, you're right. There is something to be said about like doing something just because it, it makes you feel happy and to feel like you're part of a community of artists, your family, essentially. But yeah, I, lo I love that so much. And I hope even as the world is starting to go back to normal that we can, yeah, people people are still on board to, to do that. Because as you said, it, we're not all geographically in the same place. The pandemic, I think, has made the world kind of spread out even more where people are like, I don't really want to live in New York anymore. I'm going to go live in California or move to a different country. So yeah, I think it's, it's cool. It's cool to do that. There's also this focus on the process and not the product, which I hope everyone can just hold on to because the, the process is the part of the journey where you learn and, and create and commune together and that's that's the most joyful part um so let's keep keep focusing on the process no matter where we are with the people that we want to create with yes absolutely i also think the other thing that you know kind of creating your own work and finding different ways to access and um creativity is it kind of removes the hierarchy, you know, in order, if you want to do a reading in New York, you'd have to like book a rehearsal space, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's, it's truly kind of like daunting even just to do a simple reading, but 
by removing those barriers, it's it feels like it's made a wider playing field in the same way like when YouTube first came out. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day when YouTube first came out, you know, it was, oh, you don't have to uh, you know, move to Hollywood or do this to become kind of a film or video personality or to become an artist through this medium. It really kind of opened up the playing field. Yes. Yes. There are so many more ways now to to make your own work. And I, I love what you said about removing the boundaries and the barriers to do that. Um, it's very... It's very liberating. I feel like today's YouTube is now TikTok, where that's like totally agree. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. I'm I'm excited for the like the like uh, academic analysis of TikTok and COVID nineteen that's going to come out in five years, and like how the how they rose simultaneously because people were at home and like former avenues of expression were shut down and people's Facebook feeds were a mess because all the, our parents were getting on them and posting just ignorant and annoying stuff. So everyone had to move to it. I'm excited for it to be like really studied because living through it has been really, really fast. I mean, Sarah knows this. I talk about TikTok all the time because I'm obsessed with it. What's really, yes, it's boring. It's, it's very addicting and funny and sometimes silly, but like what, when you ask the question of what inspires you, like TikTok does, because there's these people who are like, you know, high schoolers, college kids, people of all ages, like, oh no, I can make something. I have the tool to make something. I have the tool to create a 30 second piece of art, you know? And a lot of them are incredibly expressive and incredibly, incredibly artistic. And I think, you, I think that, you know, as theater artists, or artists in general, can be like, oh, well, we're the artists, we're the generators, we're the creators. And I think there's something really beautiful and amazing to be like, no, we all are. We yeah. all are. Everyone can do this. Everyone can create something. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, I think as, as theater artists and, you know, even like TV film artists, like there's, we talked about this actually um, on, a, on our podcast before. We had a, a guest on who's a good friend of mine who's I've known since we were kids. Um, we were both child actors together, but she has gone on to like become a major TikTok influencer. She's like, oh, wow. what? crazy town, like 14,000 followers. Um, and she was like, yeah, you know, I used to like obsess about like all my self tapes and like every time I had to be on camera, everything needed to be perfect. But she's like, with TikTok, I don't care. She's like, I just set up my ring light and have my phone. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just for fun. And there's something really liberating about that too, of making art just because it's fun and it doesn't have to be like perfectly crafted, you know, um, with all the expensive setup and lighting. It's like, nah, just, just say F it and have fun. Yeah, I'm really good. Okay, I'm going to like push this thesis article on TikTok because, you know, earlier when I was talking about, you know, expanding access to artists, but also audiences, like yeah. I think the actual tools of the app and how you record yourself and do transitions make it more accessible to artists. But the algorithm, as much as it's stealing all our data and it's very creepy, like gives access to audiences because you... In YouTube, you have to like search and find somebody. You have to search like, oh, I'm looking for unique 
indie composer, you know, how do you actually find that unless you're recommended to somebody then you have to really kind of sort down and click and click and click and follow through. Whereas TikTok, these ideas are just presented to you. So artists are actually getting more access to audiences as well. Yes. I'm actually really glad that the conversation went in this direction because I think that this conversation is really important for people to hear who are maybe struggling with reopening. I think that as excited as we, the collective we of artists are, that things are returning to, I don't want to say normal, but that we are able to do the things that we used to do in the pan- prior to the pandemic, like gather for live theater, things like that. And some people I think are just really struggling. Um, It's hard to see, you know, Broadway shows open. And if you're not working on them and all your friends auditioning, if you're not, if you're not, and all of those things that are going on. And I, I think that it's really great having the both of you who are actually working full time for an established institution to come on here and say and say and celebrate all of these different ways of innovating and creating and staying um, and like that these avenues of creation, these avenues of connecting audiences and artists are still relevant even as we are able to maybe gather in person more and have live theater. I'm just really happy that uh, that we talked about this. Agree. No, I mean, it's, it's exciting for me, you know, and I think it's, it's innovating. It's the newest form. I think it's all, all good. Yeah. And, and actually going back to what you said about um, the algorithm and TikTok, I kind of experienced it firsthand and that's why I deleted TikTok the night I got it because I, the algorithm is so good. It really does show you what you want to see. And I ended up, I think I downloaded it maybe like 10 o'clock one night and ended up being on it till like two in the morning (laughs) just because it really does show you exactly what you're interested in. And that is wonderful. But first time of us, not, not, not really the best. Uh, No, totally. There was a great, article in the wall street journal that kind of shows the like tiktok tunneling effect effect tiktok tunneling effect which is <laughs> yeah once it like kind of like you know it's really interesting is this like 3d diagram of like once it learns your interests then it gets more niche and more niche and more niche and more niche and it can very quickly because you know it starts showing you very popular videos and then videos of smaller view counts and smaller and smaller. So you're getting like more niche and more niche and more niche. And then some of the stuff at that end of the tunnel can be really harmful and really um, like dangerous to put out there in the same way. Like, you know, I think a couple of years ago, people were talking about how YouTube's algorithm led to kind of radicalization, especially like conservative radicalization, because you click on one video and then it sends you to another conspiracy theory that it sends you to another, to another, to another. So it seems like, there's a lot of content and that, you know, all the content you're seeing is about conspiracy theories or QAnon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not actually true. That's just what the website is feeding you because that was, that's what keeps you on. Yeah. I know it's all good. It's all bad. It's all the same. <laughs> so, you know. Right. 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 Not like, like all social media. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So so here's my question. Can we expect a TikTok production from uh, Primary Stages coming up? <laughs> no, no, you know, I'm still, I've, there's a couple of playwrights I've won over to TikTok. Um, I don't know if they're, if they're fully on board yet. I don't know. I kind of want it. I was actually thinking that the other night because I feel like it is, you know, it's so interesting to think of like, you know, before movies existed, no one could imagine what a movie was. And then no one could imagine what a television show was. Um, and I was like, well, what, or even if like, what, what is a photograph? So like every kind of new artistic technology that exists changes the form, changes the content. So I don't know. I'm interested in seeing if TikTok is kind of the next um, kind of genre of artistic expression. Totally. Wasn't there the Ratatouille was a TikTok? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They did. They did. Yeah. Could be. Could be something. <laughs> um, but <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, um, we are curious about what does the upcoming uh, season, if you will, or some of the upcoming plans for, for reopening primary stages look like? Yeah, so we're um, our first, you know, we are planning an in-person um, gala in November. And then maybe some other small events in the winter. Um, but our first production will be in spring of 2022. And that was, you know, this is the other thing, you know, as you're, as we are re- the resident of Broadway, off-Broadway company at 59 East 59 Theaters. And as, you know, you're booking space, you have to book it a year and a half out. Um, so wow. kind even more than that, you know, so when we were kind of deciding what space was when we wanted to start producing the vaccine wasn't out yet um we didn't really have any idea of what the next couple of years would be like and especially with these you know the shows that we're planning on producing um are shows that were supposed to produce now two years ago and so we don't want to have to postpone them again so we kind of took a more we tried to like really take safety into concern and be like, all right, well, let's start a little bit later. And we're also a smaller company. You know, we want, I'm so glad theaters like New York theater workshop and rattlestick are doing um, workout now and getting stuff out there. But it kind of, we kind of wanted to wait and see how everything panned out before we kind of commit to bringing artists into that space. Um, and that was really the main thing we were thinking of. It's like, yes, if we want to, we can figure out how to get work done, but is that what is that what is best for the play? Um, so that is, we're coming back to in-person performances in spring 2022. That's so exciting. Yes. I think that's really great because, um, you know, it's it's kind of smart to see like what happens over these next several months. And of course, you made the decision probably before we were obviously you said before there was a vaccine, but also probably before people were talking about variants as much. And yeah, um, yeah there's just a lot to consider with getting people into the same space, artists and audiences alike. But I do feel as much as I feel 
feel the weight of the world and all of everything that's going on can just sometimes seem so horrible. I do feel positive about it as well. Um, And I think that that's a really exciting thing to be working towards and looking forward to um, in the next few months, your your first in-person production after so, so long. Yeah. And there's something you said about coming back to it's, one thing that's interesting right now is it feels like a lot of the theater community is like, we're all talking about the same things. We're all having the same conversations, um, especially in regards to like anti-racism and how to make, create a more inclusive theater and how we want to like build back better, how can we create a different, better theater. And I think that previous to the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of kind of little separate conversations. There was a bubble happening over here, something happening over here, but there wasn't kind of a larger communal conversation. And so I do feel like uh, we're all kind of speaking the same language now. We understand what our priorities are. We understand what needs to be done. Whether that will happen or not is kind of, you know, still, still to be determined, but it feels like that's something that feels different for me. That's that, you know, everyone I'm talking to is we don't want to work with um, uh, abusive producers. We don't want to work with people who create unsafe spaces. We want to create a good working environment for the artists we work with. We want to create an experience that opens up the minds of our audiences. You know, it feels like everyone is still is, is kind of, I don't know. I hope it feels like everyone is on board for that now. Yeah. And I think that what, is inspiring as much as it can be really frustrating is now seeing how people are putting those ideas into action because it's very easy to say all these things that you're going to do when everything is shut down and you can't actually get together and do theater and do a production. But what has been inspiring me is when I'm seeing theaters that are actually walking the walk now and putting all of this into action. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that on the flip side, there are a lot of places that we're all talk and are not quite um, doing the things that they had talked about doing when, you know, maybe 10 months ago. But um, I do, I do feel this change and this shift in the New York theater community. And that is really wonderful and important and necessary and obviously inspiring. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So Erin and Sarah, what do you have coming up in the immediate future for Primary Stages? Well, at the uh, September 22nd, we're going to we're premiering uh, a virtual play that we commissioned from Kate Hamill, who we um, also produced her Little Women and her adaptation of Pride and Prejudice in previous years. And, you know, er- earlier on the pandemic, we knew we were going to be virtual for a while. We wanted to put artists back to work. And so we reached out to Kate to write a play that was specifically written for the virtual medium. Um, And she did this incredible Zoom farce uh, called Badass Gal Boss Power Hour, parentheses, mandatory meeting, 11-20-2020. And it is um, a bunch of women who are joining a Zoom meeting um, for their multi-level marketing scheme. And it's, it's so funny. 
it, we had some incredible, incredible actors on it. Um, and it's really, you know, everything that goes wrong in a Zoom, you know, someone's on mute, someone messages the wrong person, someone doesn't know how to, you know, turn off their camera. So it's, it's really beautifully written and using the form, you know, uh, and she did a wonderful job of that. And so I'm really, really excited for that coming out um, again, September 22nd. Oh my goodness. Just that title alone is making me laugh. <laughs> yeah, great. It's so good. Oh I'll, I'll also tack on to that, that it runs through October 13th. Um, you can stream it. Uh, you, the, you can log onto our website and um, then be linked to our ticketing system and uh, get a free ticket. It's absolutely free to stream through the 13th of October. Um, and we would love for as many people to see it as possible. Yes, um, Sarah coming in with the logistics. <laughs> in addition, I'll say, you know, just because education is, is my thing. Um, we are uh, just launching our fall season of classes at ESPA. Um, we have some really incredible instructors, um, our sort of tried and true favorites that have seen us through this pandemic and additional new instructors um, joining us for the first time this semester. Um, and we're really excited about those offerings. Um, and at the same time, what I will say is that I recognize that the world is still a crazy place and not everyone is able to, you know, put money toward anything right now. Um, so there will continue to be uh, free initiatives and also all of our primary plus programming that we created over the pandemic. So we have a number of master classes um, with artists, all of the lunch and learns that we've done, they've all been recorded um, and can be accessed through our website. So if you ever find yourself just needing just needing to be inspired for a minute or just needing a writing prompt or you're, you're in a funk and you just want to get yourself um, engaged and motivated. Um, if you log on to our website and look at our primary plus programming, you can see the various lunch and learn instructors that have, um, that have given their time and you can rewatch those and re reutilize the uh, prompts that they give and, here with fresh ears, the advice that they're um, that they're talking about in terms of their careers, but also, you know, what is happening in the world at that moment, which honestly still does translate to right now. Um, so just knowing that that is a free resource there um, at your disposal whenever you need it for your own heart and your own creativity, um, we're happy to have it there. That is so wonderful. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. And yeah, we will also make sure to link that in our show notes so our listeners can access that too. Glorious, that's, thank you. That's really, that's really wonderful. Um, yeah, because even though, as we've talked about, like we're returning to some kind of normalcy, it's still, it's still really nice to, to be able to know that these exist, they're archived and that, yeah, yeah, we can, we can turn to those for for some comfort in these still crazy times. Well, Erin, Sarah, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been such a pleasure getting to, to hear your stories. And um, it's, it's just evident, even across a computer screen with cameras off, that you two work so well together. And it's just such a wonderful supportive uh feeling that i'm i'm getting from hearing about how you work together and how primary stages 
and the community you've built is working together. So I'm, I'm so excited for all of the projects you have coming up and thank you for sharing all of it with us. Thank you. Yeah. And I feel like this was such a great um, conversation. We touched on so much. It was really wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. It's really, it's been wonderful. This is, this has been a very inspiring conversation. What inspires me? I'm going to go forward through my day with this um, as an uplift. It's been just great. Thank you. Oh, thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes. Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.